Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast happy thursday everybody april 15th officially two weeks out from the nfl draft which means Blake Jude is back. He was going to be back no matter what, whether it's the NFL draft or not. He's been coming on every damn week for close to 14 months now. Give, a, give and take a few, but that's close to 60, 70 podcasts we've done together. And so Blake has been are just awesome for us for the past, what, 14 months? A true friend. Great football knowledge. He literally he is literally an NFL draft scout. As many of you have known at this point, he does for for the past five years. He does formulas. He ranks players and prospects. And we talk later about playing prospect or no prospect. We'll get to that another day. The fun thing I brought to this week's podcast was overly realistic NFL draft grades, and I'd been sitting on these for about five days or so waiting for the right time to bring them in, and this was that time. So we're going to talk about each of them, and they kind of drive a lot of our conversation because it's a big quarterback day, lots of quarterback talk. And, of course, everyone loves the quarterback talk, and getting to go in-depth on them is a big, big thing. I know Blake thought that that was cool. But just to kind of like preface this, let me just real quick, without explanation, you'll get some of the explanation later on, but here's just some of the overly realistic draft grades, which are mocking the process of draft grades, as I'll explain the joke a second time later, overly explaining draft grades, or no, overly explaining the joke, and creating draft grades that shit on players for their skill sets because it emphasizes the point that we don't really know what we're evaluating here, and people think everyone's going to be awesome. Blake says in here that he thinks these four quarterbacks are like the top 10 picks better than anyone that was in the top four of that 2018 class that now had Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. But this class is really up there. And so that's going to be interesting to watch play out. It doesn't give me hope that the Jaguars, Jets, and well, I guess that's those would be the teams picking quarterbacks, maybe the Broncos doesn't give me great hope for the quarterbacks and the destinations that they go, but could work out in the end. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked here. We've got a lot of podcasts. Here are the overly realistic draft grades making fun of the process of draft grades. So for Mac Jones, I have a blend between Brett Hundley and Jared Goff. For Justin Fields, I have EJ Manuel. Trey Lance, Paxton Lynch is my quarterback comp. 
because people always point to Josh Allen as the super freak with lots of talent, but they forget Paxton Lynch was also a super freak with lots of talent who got drafted in the first round, late first round, but still the first round nonetheless. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a blend between Josh Allen and Jacob Eason, which is not necessarily a slight if you take the good parts of each. Uh, you have Zach Wilson as Matt Barkley. Devonta Smith's comparison is to Jeremy Macklin. Jamar Chase is a blend between Devontae Parker and Pierre Garçon, which Blake talks about how athletic he is. I guess Pierre Garçon was an undrafted guy, but it's a perfect point that you don't necessarily have to spend big on the wide receiver position. We haven't done the full case study yet, but that's a future podcast episode, near future podcast episode on the wide receiver position. Patrick Sertan gets Dominique Rogers cromartie and... Travis Etienne gets Tevin Coleman. So those are the overly realistic draft comparisons. Uh, I was really proud of that segment. So without further ado, we talk more in depth, and I hope you enjoy the sarcasm in all of this and realizing that nobody really knows what they're talking about in the evaluations. I saw Mel Kuyper list his top 10 highest graded prospects ever, and the list was... Like, there's some funny ones in there. Like, the top of the list is, of course, like, John Elway, uh, Peyton Manning at the top of the list. But then Trevor Lawrence was number four. And then you go down, you've got, like, Drew Bledsoe at seven. You've got Ryan Leaf at eight. Um, He had Josh Allen at ten, I think. Um, And then he had Andre Ward at number seven. Like, there's some funny ones in there as well as the overly realistic ones. So... A lot of it's a crapshoot, people. And think about the organizations we talked about. Drew Bledsoe, pretty solid career. Made a Super Bowl pretty quick. Ryan Leaf, destroyed by the Chargers. Uh, Andre Ward, destroyed by the Lions. So sometimes that's just the way that those things work out. But again, nobody knows the exact process. They're just talking about how good the prospects are. Nobody knows how their careers will play out. With that being said, I've been talking well long enough. Let's bring in... Blake Jude, NFL Draft expert, NFL Draft scout, back into the podcast two weeks out from the best month of the year and the best time of the year, well, at least for him. And for me, it's right up there. The NFL Draft season is here. So enjoy this NFL Draft transition music, too, because we can play that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. draft thing that's going on two weeks out we have a draft scout on the show <laughs> i'm excited man i'm really excited i'm getting down to the crunch time i've got the uh, i've got a few we talked about this before you came on some overly realistic nfl draft comparisons which uh is me being a little bit cruel and making fun of the draft process a little bit here so i've got about like nine or ten of these real quick that are just like being cruelly over really overly realistic right, so at this at point <laughs> all right so for trey lance i have his comparison to paxton Ooh. lynch <laughs> i mean <laughs> but again we're talking yes. about body types yes. and skill set i, I would here. say <laughs> lance is a far better runner than Paxton Lynch and Paxton Lynch wasn't, wasn't like a poor runner by any means but I think Trey Lance is an athlete like he is 
He's going to eat me. I believe he ran like a four three six, didn't he? Uh, four three. I mean, he ran four three something. I mean, he's a he's an athlete. So I, I think when you compare body types, and especially their arm similarity, but I think his legs give him a whole new dimension. I think if he goes to a different team, it could be different. But you know, then again, I I've been preaching this, and I'll I'll say it again. Just because you compare him to a bad player doesn't mean he's going to be a bad player, right? He can easily you know settle in and be great for another team. Yes, I'm making fun of the draft process with this uh, evaluation here. Because, again, I'm going to be right on some of these, and the ones that aren't, hey, it's a joke. But when I'm right, I can make fun of people on this one. So, for Justin Fields, I have his quarterback comparison in size, I don't know about arm strength, to EJ Manuel. Honestly, not a bad one. I would say he's definitely got a better arm than EJ Manuel. But body types almost to a T. Both of them are probably – I mean, they are strong, you know, good runners, too. Manuel really relied on his legs because he had no accuracy and, you know, his arm was pretty poor in general. But I think Fields has pretty poor accuracy for the most part, probably better manuals. And I think he definitely has a stronger arm. But I can see as I can see Fields being like a much better version of EJ Manuel. It's that's, that's honestly a good one. It's, it's a, you know, I, I always like how, you know, comparisons are made to players who are not as known because they're usually a lot more accurate. Whenever you compare them to Josh Allen and someone like that, you know, you're just expecting them to be the next Josh Allen, the exact same skill set and everything like that. It's not the case. Uh, it honestly kind of leads people to, um, you know, be a little misinformed on what the players actually like. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Josh Allen because next up I have Trevor Lawrence, who is a blend between Mr. Josh Allen and <laughs> Jacob Easton. Honestly, really good because he's got a freaking crazy strong arm. Um, <laughs> and so that will that, that definitely plays into that. And I think he also has really good accuracy in general. And then plus with his legs, he is just, uh, uh, you know, a, a, pretty much a monster. I mean, he's, he's a perfect prospect. He really is everything you want uh, in a quarterback. And I've already mentioned this once. I have him graded over Joe Burrow. Um, even though I'm a big time Joe Burrow fan, uh, I definitely got to say I, I credit Trevor Lawrence because I think he is great. I think there are certain aspects Burrow has that are that's better than Trevor Lawrence. I think he's, um, you know, pretty pretty much better at you know going through progressions and finding those gaps and, and shooting those gaps whenever he gets a chance. But he doesn't have the arm talent or the legs of Trevor Lawrence does, and he got those intangibles that Lawrence has really just pushes him over. Ooh, that's a good one, too. So I have Zach Wilson, and uh, his comparison is to Matt Barkley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, another another one of the scenarios where, I mean, he's a lot better with his legs. He can roll out of the pocket, make plays on the outside. Barkley really can't. But um, And also think his arm, all up, and just in general, is better. But, you know, comparing their body types, very similar. Um, and I also think there are some, like, I can see Matt Barkley – like a high-end Matt Barkley being like the absolute worst-case scenario for Zach Wilson. You know, in, in the event Zach Wilson becomes like a Josh Rosen type, I can see him being a Matt Barkley type backup for the future. Um, but uh, I think, uh, for at least in my eyes, Zach Wilson is headed much more down the road of a Matt Ryan in the future than what he is a, a Matt Barkley. Uh, I guess the Jets could ask for worse. Like Matt Ryan is going to be a fringe Hall of Famer. I know you think he is a Hall of Famer, but – he would be a Super Bowl winner. So you can't complain that, Ryan. Yes, you are correct. They would be, even though wins aren't a quarterback stat. Yes, I agree. He, he is going to finish close to Phillip Rivers with an MVP. So I guess he has a Hall of Fame case, even though I don't think he'll get in. Or I don't think he should get in. So 
I also said this thing on Joe Burrow. I forgot that I tell you this all the time. The Bengals are going to ruin Joe Burrow, aren't they? <laughs> They're going to ruin his career. This draft is going to tell you a lot about what the Bengals think. Uh, and and if they screw up, I mean, they have this is a mandatory get. They have to find a high tier starting offensive lineman in this draft. And Panay will feels like the obvious pick. But with the rumors of Jamar Chase being a Bengal, I love it. I love Jamar Chase. Such best wide receiver in the class. He might be graded higher than Penny Sewell in my book. Um, he currently is graded higher than Penny Sewell. But at the same time, there is no guarantee that any of the offensive linemen in round two are going to be a high-tier starting offensive lineman. There's a possibility. There's definitely some guys out there that have potential. Uh, I love Dylan Raddins. I love Landon Dickerson. There's a lot of guys in, in that round two area I think could be great offensive linemen. Can they be... A, just as much of a guarantee Panay Sewell is, no. And that is the issue. That is the reason why I think a lot of people want Panay Sewell. And that's the reason why I've been a big advocate for Panay Sewell to the Bengals still, even after this Jamar Chase news. Because I think, you know, you take this round one round at a time, right, in a draft. And I think, you know, I, I love the idea of looking ahead and thinking, hey, these offensive linemen round two can be great offensive linemen as well. Let's go for him because we we're not too confident in the wide receivers round two. At the same time, um, I think, you know, if you're looking at just round one and if you want to make sure Joe Burrow is protected, you got to get your guy that can block. Um, so, I, I mean, the idea of, of a chase and Raidens is, in my opinion, better than a chance of Panay Sewell in a round two wide receiver. But whenever you look at just that round one, what you want, what you want to help Burrow for the future, you might lean towards Panay Sewell at the end. Yes, you talked about – you introduced me to the idea of the Bengals civil war that's going on, is that it's – the Jamar Chase versus the Panay Sewell crowd, and then alien Kyle Pitts is pulling up on his spaceship and invading the war. Kyle Pitts is one of the best. He is a literal civil war. He might be. He might end up. Uh, he's already climbed. Uh, he's already climbed Chase and and uh, Sewell for me. Uh, he might end up as my number one overall prospect. He is currently number two. He is crazy. Ooh. Yes. Is number one Lawrence then? But. But Ooh, after, after seeing Kyle Pitts on a 4-4, um, that, I mean, that's unreal. <laughs> it is unreal. Yeah, it's like future future Hall of Famer I didn't realize you that. even step on the field kind of stuff. Which, to be fair, people said the same thing about Saquon Barkley. And injuries really affected not Saquon. I think he's still a great running back. Um, but injuries have definitely hurt his uh, career for the most part. I think if Kyle Pitts can stay healthy, which is, of course, a big factor in everything, um, he can be – I mean – Next level elite. I mean, I have never seen a guy like this. He's got crazy. I mean, his wingspan was a lot longer than I thought too. I was not, I was really surprised about how like long his arms were. Um, and and I mean, you you watch his film, he can do everything. He lined he lined up sixty percent of the time uh, across from the offensive tackle. He lined up inside the line and blocked a lot. I didn't realize that until I rewatched his tape again. Um, his he blocked a lot more than people thought he did, and he actually did it pretty well. He's not he's not a Pat Fryer, youth level blocker, who's a guy later on in the draft who I think is a much better blocker overall. But I think once you once you combine his blocking abilities with his you know insane receiving abilities, the best receiving tight end I have scouted ever for sure. Um, I think he is Darren Waller level, and I think he can be above Darren Waller Darren Waller level at the next level. Um, that was a tongue twister, but whenever you Yes, whenever Waller you uh, <laughs> compare those two and combine them into one guy, it's the perfect prospect. I mean, these are this is Pat Frymuth is being com- directly compared to Rob Gronkowski, and we are talking about him being thirty spots lower on the on the overall board than Kyle Pitts right now. That's how great of a tight end Kyle Pitts is. 
Hey, Falcons they, they distract need to both of Kyle them. Pitts is that an effective I, I think it has to be. If I'm the Falcons, I'm taking Kyle Pitts. What if Justin Fields slides to four? <sighs> uh, um, I talked about this in the last podcast, and I've recently changed my mind. Um, I think – I in my eyes, I think Trey Lance is going to be the pick at three. Yes, and and really? I, I said this, I'm sticking wow. with it. I think I think for one, I think Mac Jones is a huge smoke screen. I don't think Mac Jones is the pick at three at all. Yeah, it would make no sense. Like it just it genuinely doesn't make sense why they would trade up to three if the pick was Mac Jones, who's less athletic and has less arm strength than both Correct. of the quarterbacks. And, and I think it really is down to Lance and Fields. And, I mean, to be honest, um, I've heard a lot of people start to say Fields now. I think it's getting a lot of traction. Um, yeah, I think – and I have Fields me. graded higher than Lance. <laughs> I'll point that out. But I, I just – I mentioned this in the mock draft. I think Lance is a much better fit for Kyle Shanahan's scheme. And the most important part about this process is – Neither quarterback is going to possibly be day one ready. I think the biggest – you already have a guy in Jimmy Garoppolo who you might keep this year. Um, you might just let him roll out this season and, and see what you can do with, while this other guy's you know, trying to develop into a, a better quarterback. I think when you compare Trey Lance's ceiling on the San Francisco 49ers with a guy just in fields, you might be better off going Lance because I think the running dynamic that Lance has, even though Fields is a great runner, Lance is – I mean, we, we saw Lance run for 150-plus yards almost every single game in North Dakota State. He is a dynamic runner, and Fields is capable. He's not as good as Trey Lance is, and I think that aspect really intrigues, intrigues Kyle Shanahan and, and the way he likes to run the ball so much and, and just dominate the game on the, on, in the, and on the run and passing to tight ends. I think matches Kyle or um, excuse me, Trey Lance's style very, very well. So I think when you can buy those things, he's just a, a better fit um, for Trey Lance going to San Francisco. So I've stuck by that for quite a while. Um, I think, however, if – Fields falls, it is more likely Kyle Pitts is selected. I think if if Lance falls to four, I think it's more likely the Falcons select Lance. If you ask me, I think the Falcons and the 49ers are more interested in Trey Lance than Justin Fields right now. I think we might see Fields fall a little bit farther, further than what we actually think. I, I hear people say good things about Trey Lance, but I'm just like, I've watched Justin Fields with my own eyes. Like, this guy is, he's amazing. Like, I obviously I haven't watched a lot of him, but I've watched two seasons worth of Justin Fields, which is probably more than even Trevor Lawrence at this point. I'm like, this guy is so amazing. I have no idea how he's not like the number two pick in the draft. Nonetheless, you're going to draft my- two quarterbacks ahead of him. I, if they, yeah, if they pick Mac Jones, like that, just that's stupid. But if it's Trey Lance, I'm like, I hear people say good things about him and he yeah. could be great. So I just don't know how people pass on Justin Fields. Fields is my QB, too. It's crazy. Uh, he's been QB, too, throughout this entire process. And this yeah. is more of me just saying my projection of what I think happens. Um, I think um, if, if Fields is there at four, um, you can make a very good argument that Falcons should take him. Uh, however, I think the, you know, you have, you've, in my eyes, you've already kind of committed to Matt Ryan. And, um, we don't know how well they're going to be next year. Um, so it really just depends. Going to tank. Yeah. And, and for context for people, what he's talking about is they restructured Matt Ryan's contract and he has two years remaining on the deal. That would be difficult to move on from in both years. They could do it. Like it's not as much as like the Eagles moving on from Carson Wentz, but they did structure it so that it's hard to move on from Matt Ryan without assuming huge cap penalties, which to be fair, the Falcons are also resetting their cap space, but 
it'd be two years before Matt Ryan would be like off the roster. Obviously, he could get benched for one season, but it'd be two seasons. And, and before I feel like he's to a certain extent, it's almost a disservice to sit fields for not just one season, but two seasons. However, I feel like for Trey Lance, it makes a lot more sense uh, to sit him for two seasons. I think he can be a Jordan Love type prospect where he sits behind a, a QB for a couple of years uh, and then turns up to be what he is. Uh, I think he can be very, very good whenever he gets the chance to start. I think for Fields, you're looking at him being a maybe possibly sit for six, seven games, similar to what Justin Herbert did. Uh, and then once you realize that Tyrod Taylor is not the great quarterback he is, you throw him in and then he dominates. So I think that's... Or he gets a punctured lung, which I think kind of just put Tyrod Taylor's career on ice because now now that it's like, who are you going to call? Like, it's a Ghostbuster situation. Who are you going to call when you got no quarterback or who are you going to call when your he's quarterback already, might get put on the exempt list? He's already you on call Texans, Tyrod right? Taylor. <laughs> That's what I was saying is who are you going to call when you just need a stopgap quarterback to come collect a check and <laughs> collect $10 million and just – Go out there and play. You're going to call hey, Tyron Taylor, and you're going to call I mean, David Cullen. I, I, I got to respect him. He's, he's going out there and getting paid to, to play. So, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, he's not, not the ideal quarterback for anyone, but, I mean, he's he's playing. So, um, The man made two Whenever he plays for the Bills, I shout that great. all the time. I'm like, Tyron um, Taylor made two after the Bills, pro-bulls. he kind of, uh, I guess, um, yeah, it kind of rained down a little bit. But at the same time, um, I, I think that, well, because he got like four games but, before being benched but, but for he Baker was very Mayfield. That was it. That they, was it. They, was it. Was a tie against Pittsburgh where their defense played out of their minds and their offense could just not score? <laughs> yeah, it's one of the greatest stats I can ever remember is that the Cleveland Browns started the season 0-1-1. It was their greatest start since 2004. It was the greatest stat ever was when Tyrod Taylor was their quarterback. It was their greatest start in 14 years. They started 0-1-1. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, their defense played unreal that. And then eventually Tyrod Taylor, you know, for the most part failed him and and then eventually got benched. And honestly, I was heartbroken for Tyrod Taylor whenever he got benched because Baker came in and he played played pretty well. um, But, I mean, he's a rookie. He's still making mistakes and everything like that. yeah, but he broke Peyton Manning's touchdown record in like 13 and a half yeah, games. It hurts for me to, to you know, see Tyrod go out like that, for the, at least for the Browns. He came back and, of course, has been you know playing for the Chargers and then for a couple other uh, teams. Uh, wasn't he on the 49ers for a minute? I feel like he was on the 49ers for uh, a minute. Wasn't recent. Uh, wasn't recent of you. But, I mean, he not. might have been. Uh, no, might be thinking of uh, – no. No, I guess yeah. he. I guess he did go straight from the Browns to the Chargers. Right. That I think about and, it. He and, spent and two years. That, the Chargers. Uh, he's been kind of just taking that role as like, hey, I'm starting the first couple of games and I'm getting benched, so it's fine, you know. Uh, just... Yeah, he's going with. He's following Anthony Lynn. That's why I thought for sure he'd end up as the backup for Goff in Detroit. I'm like, he's just following Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn is going to keep giving him jobs, and they're going to keep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, here, here we are though. Um, you know, he's he's still making money. He's still going to. I mean, I, I hope to see him. You know, play for the Texans this year, maybe. Because of course, I, I doubt Watson's playing. Um, well, I mean, are we going to watch him play for the Texans or are we going to read about him playing for the Texans? Because I don't think if, anyone's if, watching yeah, the Texans. If there's any this other year. team playing, <laughs> I will probably. I, well, this is the thing. I'm a red zone guy, so I guess they'll technically they pop scoring. up on the red zone now <laughs> and then. But 
it, yeah. No, no, they are getting scored on with Zach Cunningham. Yeah, and they, they are. They are. Going, yeah, they're not going to be shown very much on offense. But uh, I, I think that um, you know, I, I don't know why we got so off topic with Tyrod Taylor, but I, I mean, I got to respect the dude. I, I like him a lot. I'm trying to. Why right. did we get to Tyrod Taylor? Oh wait, we were talking about. I guess we're talking about Trey yeah, Lance oh, yeah. and, and so backing up about Justin Fields then... uh, at four. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> wow, yeah, that that could, I don't know how he went from fields to <laughs> pits to fields to Tyrod Taylor. That was just an odd, an odd combo. But um, I think if you're if you're looking at Justin Fields, you're looking at um, a possible, you know, just a couple of games and he comes in. That's how I got to Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I, I think with Lance, you're looking at a long term rebuild. So if you are interested in getting a long term rebuild, a quarterback that you could sit and and you know, wait for two years to play. You're looking at Trey Lance to be your guy because he is a very, very raw player. I have him graded very low. Uh, you know, as you know, I, I, I have him with a second round grade on film. Uh, I think that when you look at his talent he's playing against, he is still a vi- uh, and, and people. And- That's a good comparison. I didn't think of RG3 as a player comparison. That's a good one to use in overly realistic comparisons. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I can definitely see the aspect of where that can be a problem because uh, a lot of people thought, you know, similar to Lance, RG3 was going to be a guy that had, had a much similar game and, and did very well. He had a great arm. Uh, he had really, really good legs, but his biggest issue was whenever he had pressure in his face, he was tucking and running, and that really became his downfall in the NFL. He got injured, especially in that very poor Washington offensive line. I think for Trey Lance, I think he needs to learn to trust his offensive line. He needs to play more as a quarterback behind the line of scrimmage rather than, you know, going in front of the line of scrimmage. Uh, I don't think he he can win many games as a Lamar Jackson. He's not Lamar Jackson. I think he has to win more games rolling out of the pocket and being the athlete he is to make plays extended down the field in a passing game. I think it's where he needs to improve his game for the most part. And I think in my eyes, if he wants to with the Falcons, that can be a great idea. And so I think if the Falcons are there for, you can maybe really entertain the idea of taking Lance. But I think for Fields, if you're looking at Fields there, I think if you're planning on binging him for two years, it's a disservice to Fields. You might as well just take Kyle Pitts and roll with it in my eyes. Yes. And RG3's injury was the reason that about 32 teams in the NFL passed on Lamar Jackson in the draft. So it's a, uh, it's a telltale sign, but uh, Trey Lance is not RG3. You are right. Trey Lance is Paxton Lynch. As we described earlier, I had like four jokes that I've written in between the time you were talking. And the point I was going to say before that is if you're the Falcons, this is year one of a long ass rebuild. Like, Take Lance and sit him. You don't need the immediate impact player. Uh, If Trey Lance is going to be your quarterback for the next 15 years, there is no better time than right now to sit a quarterback for, even if it's Justin Fields, to be honest, because the Giants benched Eli Manning with two years on his contract. Like it's not unheard of to bench Matt Ryan and then absorb whatever hit it is so that he can move on next season. It is, you can do whatever you want, basically. And there's no better time than now because you don't need the immediate impact. You're going to be bad for the next few years. You might as well just let the development process play out over the long run. Because how much – this is the thing I talked about with the Panthers. How much does one meaningless victory in Philadelphia matter next year for the Falcons? How much does of a difference does that really make in the grand scheme of the rebuild? Nothing. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is the thing that the Falcons are trying to figure out is what is your game plan? Like, the thing I love for Lions fans, like, your team is garbage and you're losers because you're Lions fans. But 
it does look like you have a plan. Right. It does look like you have a plan right now. You may be losers, but it does look like your team has a plan. For the Falcons, it's about what is your game plan going forward for this long rebuild. Right, and, and I think step number one is getting rid of Julio Jones. Uh, you got to move off stream. I think that's where. Well, I think I think they have to get an offer they can't refuse. Like, there's no problem bringing him in next year, but they, oh. you have to be given an offer you cannot refuse. Okay, for Julio Jones. I need to clarify. I'm not saying you give up Julio Jones for a, a bag of rocks. But yeah, yeah, not not trading him to tank like the Giants did with Odell Beckham. Like you're not trading him just to tank. But you're if, trading him because it's an offer you can't refuse. If you could pull off a Laramie Tunsil type trade with Julio Jones, that is the most ideal thing I can think of. That's really what started and helped the, the Dolphins to progress their rebuild to what it was, right? You want this, or even like Jamal Adams, like Jamal Adams, exactly. is kind of the same idea. Yeah, yeah, or or, or even maybe like I mean Fitzpatrick, just getting uh, you know just a, a good first round pick or something like that for a good player. Um, you know, you you need to find a way to get him off your books and and get good value with it. Um, and if you can do that successfully, you're in a really good rebuilding position. But I think the most ideal situation for the top four picks in the NFL draft go Lawrence Wilson, Fields, Lance. I think, and I've said this, I've said this before, I think San Francisco is leaning towards Fields. That's what, in my opinion, I think it's, that's where they're looking at more because I can see the reason why Lance would be more um, interesting to Kyle Shanahan. I think it matches his offense better. Oh, oh, you mean they're, yeah, they're leaning towards Lance. Sorry, you said Fields, but I assume you meant Lance. Sorry, yes, I think it's what I'm leaning towards Lance. Um, I, yeah, so I, I think in a perfect world, you're seeing it Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance. But I think in, in my eyes, when, whenever you think well, what I think is going to happen, I think they're going to take Lance. It's going to be Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Wilson, Lance, and then the Falcons are a toss-up for either Fields or Pitts. And if Pitts goes four, that really changes the aspect of things. If the Bengals go chase, then the Dolphins are sitting there at six, choosing between Waddle or Smith, and they might have to trade down. Uh, and that really shakes up the draft. So um, that's going to be a big aspect. I, I think whatever happens at pick three can really change the future uh, or really change the next three picks in the draft. So wait, are the Dolphins like shooting for pits? Is that what you think? Because I assumed like, yeah, wouldn't they be taking like be Waddle or Smith if they had the sixth pick anyways? So are they like shooting for pits? Or are they shooting for Chase or just like one of them to fall? In my eyes, I think they. If if you were if you were wanting Waddle or Smith, I think you could stay at twelve and probably get them. Um, I think uh, the the Eagles had it in their mind that they want to have, uh, you know, I want either Smith. A waddle or one of the cornerbacks at 12 and, and i think if the dolphins wanted to have a um one of those wide receivers it might have made a little bit more sense to maybe uh either stay at 12 or move up a couple more spots maybe with the um maybe with another team um i, I think trading all the way up to six suggests to me that they are banking on either chase or piss being there ah so they want the blue chipper they want, they want the blue chipper yeah and i mean i mean why wouldn't you honestly i, I think waddle's a great prospect uh and and most of my mocks i have him going seven uh, I think for me, though, you already have Will Fuller now and almost worst case scenario for the Dolphins. Well, you might you might have Will Fuller. Will Fuller is always questionable to return with an injury and or PEDs. Right. But I think I think you are you've already planned out. You, you know, you have your Z receiver this year. Maybe you instead want to go for your future top dog because the, the, the Dolphins don't have their top dog yet they still need it and i think they can work really really well without a cop pits in a tw- you know in a 12 scheme with uh mike gesicki maybe um and, or they could go with the guy jamar chase i think it's ideal either one of those happen i think worst case scenario for them is pits and chase go four and five and now they're stuck at six 
they might go for Waddle still, but he might be the third option, and they could definitely sit there and, and take him. But I also think that really starts to raise the possibility of maybe them trying to trade back down, maybe with a team like the the, the Broncos or that need a quarterback or someone like that, since you won't have one of those top four quarterbacks there. Maybe a team starts to trade up and takes a quarterback at six. I think that's where that really gets interesting for me. Well, now I'm imagining the scenario where you allow for – if Lance goes three, Pitts four, and Jamar Chase five, now you've just allowed Bill Belichick to trade up at the sixth pick. Yes. And Bill Belichick walks away with Justin Fields, who apparently the Patriots are in love with. I'm like, I would normally say there is no better sign of the quarterback is going to be great than the Patriots are in love with him, but they were also in love with Josh Rosen. They just couldn't go get him. Um, obviously, circumstances matter for Josh Rosen, but – I it's so tough and they also love Jordan Love but they traded down because they didn't want him but it's so difficult because I want Justin Fields to be a 49er but I want even more for him to be the Patriots even though I know that that's not going to ever happen in a thousand years that he would fall to the Patriots or they would be in a position to trade up like you you cannot allow that to happen at this point but i want it so bad if if fields if fields does not go to the 49ers which i think is still a possibility but i, I think it's probably going to be lance um in, in my guess would be i think there's probably a greater chance fields ends up being a bronco or a patriot than he would be a falcon so that is my um I guess that's my bold prediction uh, for now, even though I think Fields is – if Fields goes anywhere outside the top five, he's getting an A-plus pick for me instantly, not considering anything else because I think Fields can be an elite quarterback. Next up. If he's quarterback four and he everyone thinks he's quarterback two and he might be better than Trevor Lawrence maybe, then it's, it's weird. He was better than Trevor Lawrence, I guess, only at the very end. I guess Trevor Lawrence was always better than him, but – Ah, it's so tough. You want to hear the rest of these overly realistic draft comps? For sure, for sure. All right, so for Mac Jones, and this one was fun. So Mac Jones, I have a combination of Brett Hundley and Jared Goff. (laughs) I really like that because I think Jared Goff's a very good comp to Mac Jones. Um, You know, Brett Hundley, I think, you know, (laughs) definitely has more athleticism in my eyes, but I I can agree where you would say that. Uh, when, when you compare their uh, his overall body type and honestly, for the most part, their arm as well um, is, is somewhat similar. But I, I think for the most part, golf's a great um, example because and, and I've been very low on Mac Jones for quite a while. And I've, I've been speaking, speaking out about this. I have a third on grade on him. Um, and that, that's not a bad thing. I think once you, you know, you factor in the fact he's a quarterback, I think it's realistic that he goes late round one. You know, that the keyboard is late round one. He's not going to be a top 10 quarterback or top 10 pick. He does not need to be a top 10 pick. He is not that good. I had higher grades on Jordan Love, Drew Locke. I had higher grades on these guys than I did Mac Jones. And that didn't work out. Or, you know, Drew Locke didn't work out very well. Daniel Jones, I had a higher grade on him. He didn't work out that well. Um, I don't think Mac Jones is on that level, at least yet in my eyes. I could be totally wrong, and I can't wait for him to prove me wrong. Maybe look like a complete <laughs> stupid head. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that uh, it is a very strong possibility um, that uh, Mac Jones is not going to pan out the way everyone thinks it is, thinks he is. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm starting to believe now that it is for the most part a possibility that Mac Jones actually is 
pretty much the smoke screen for everyone. He might end up falling to the 20s. I think it's something that I am starting to think of as actually being a real scenario now. Um, everyone's just getting fooled. And, um, you know, Shepard's reporting it. A lot of people are reporting that he's going to be a top five pick. I don't believe it. I'm still not buying it. I'm, I'm not going to buy it buy it until draft day. I'm just give it my own. You talked about it last week. You said that you would refuse to put Mac Jones at three in any mock draft. It's that you're never going to happen because it's just – it's lunacy. It's idiotic that if Justin Fields is there, it's even more idiotic that you would pass on Justin Fields for Mac Jones. It's idiotic. Like, we were crushing Daniel Jones, and he, you said he's comparable to Daniel Jones in a draft grade. We were crushing the Giants for picking Mac Jones, and they ended up being right. Daniel Jones, yeah. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Daniel I, Jones. I think uh, this it, it's going to – it's going to kill me um, if it happens because I'm not ready for it. I think, you know, and, unless it's going to be a team like the Washington football team who wants to trade up and desperately take a guy because they think they can win now for some reason. Um, I it's going to take. I don't see anyone who's agreeing with this other than like, everyone's like, well, Shanahan thinks it this way. I'm like, it's can't, like, nobody, is, it's, it's just, it's dumb. It's so dumb. I, I think, I think Matt Jones could be a qu- better quarterback under a guy, a guy like Shanahan's offense. I think I could see the fit that he would have with the team, but I think he can just be so much better with Lancer Fields. I mean, the, the possibilities that those guys are endless compared to Matt Jones. I think with Matt Jones, you have a ceiling. If, if Matt, I want to write this down on paper. If Matt Jones wins a Super Bowl, we have to create some challenge for me to do because it's never going to happen. It is never. What What about Mac Jones finishing top ten in passing yards? Can we do that? I don't. Oh, I, uh, top five, maybe. We'll split the difference. Well, your top five has twenty, so I'll go that <laughs> way. But um, top, we'll do top eight. Top eight, maybe. I, top eight. I, I feel like if he finishes top eight in passing yards, my, my problem. <laughs> my problem is. So many quarterbacks can get injured, and so many things can happen. And you know, maybe it's yeah, Teddy Bridgewater was fifth exactly, exactly. And if something like that happens, I feel like this is going to be funny. Um, let's say, let's say, let's say he's top 10 in passing yards, and his team is in the playoffs. All right, I'll I'll roll with that. Okay, (laughs) and I, 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 maybe that do some challenge for me because it's never going to (laughs) happen. I do not believe it's going to ever going to happen. So, um, it can't, like, it it can't, right? It can't end up. (laughs) I don't want to give people false, like, because I mean, I, I I, I hate to say this, but I I feel like there are definitely a lot more scouts who are a lot higher on Mac Jones and definitely have a better outlook. And for some of these guys, like some of these Broncos fans and people like that out there, possibly listening, are getting, you know, like very. Uh, unattracted to Mac Jones because of how much I have hated on him forever and how much we both hated on him for a long time. I don't. I, it would be the perfect Broncos move. Like the Broncos and the Broncos and Kyle Trask belong together, but the Broncos and Mac Jones just belong together because of just how incompetent they've been at the quarterback position over the last six years. Yeah, I mean, I think Mac Jones is far and away the fifth best quarterback in this class in my eyes. Uh, and honestly, I've, I've started to believe that the next best is Kellen Mond, and I have a fifth-round grade on him right now. So, uh, that's that's yeah. crazy. What happened to Kyle Trask? It's just like two games in two games against Alabama and Oklahoma. We were over. Well, Kyle well Trask. I, I'm still I'm still quite a, a fan of, of Kyle Trask. I think for the most part, it's more or less Kellen Mond rising up my board. Um, Trask is as you know, I, I haven't adjusted Kellen Mond's grade yet. He currently is a fifth-round grade for me. That's why I said that. But uh, Kyle Trask has sold a fourth round gate on me f- for me uh, for quite a long time now. And, you know, I, I spoke about him possibly being a, 
um, a you know possible second round pick uh, down the line uh, in the future. And, you know, early on in the draft process, we're talking about is there going to be six quarterbacks taken in the top in the top of the, of the draft class? And I mean, that was unreal to imagine. But at the time, we you know we were thinking that because of how great Kyle Trask was performing. Um, but well, what if someone trades up and picks Kellen Mond early in the fir- or late in the first round, like the last and, and Chris of Sims, I believe, or no, it might have been Peter Schrager actually mocked that. They had a mock that uh, uh, I believe it was the Buccaneers taking Kellen Mond at pick 32, uh, which is, you know, unreal to imagine. But, hey, I mean, <laughs> anything's possible, I guess. Uh, I mean, he mocked that himself. So he had six quarterbacks going in the top uh, 32. So, I mean, I, I don't see it happening at all. Um, but I think that there's a very, very comfortable difference between Mac Jones uh and in the next best quarterback uh, in this class. So I think taking him round two makes a lot more sense, especially with his value. I mean, that, that would be great for me in A-plus probably because you're getting the next best quarterback. He's, he's a starter-capable quarterback. He can go. He can be a Jared Goff for your team. He can go in and, and, you know, if you have a very, very good team under like Sean McVay and a great defense, he can take your team to maybe the Super Bowl. But he's not going to be the reason why he made it at all. You know, it's going to be everyone else. So John Walford. So he's basically John Walford. That's what you're saying. Is that because Sean McVay, had they kept going, he was had Walford not gotten hurt against the Seahawks. There are reports that confirm he was going to roll with Walford all the way to the Super Bowl, regardless of Goff's healthiness or not. He was going to roll with Walford all the way to the Super Bowl. I, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I think his absolute ceiling is I'm like, if, if he's at his absolute best, Kirk Cousins. That's just how I see it. And Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. You know, he's good. Um, at the same time, I think, yeah, but anyone, but you're right. Anyone could have had a Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins was drafted in the fifth yeah, right. round. Anyone could have it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you develop him right, anyone can have a Kirk Cousins. Uh, that's the, you know, it's going to be a ceiling for a lot of you similar guys like Davis Mills, another uh, quarterback from Stanford. He can be like a Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins type guy. Um, but that's only if he's developed right. I think for me, uh, Matt Jones is definitely going to be better day one than a lot of the other later guys. Or almost all of them, I would say. He's going to be probably better day one. And, and I think that he can come in and start for your team. Um, but I think that whenever you compare him to these top four guys, I, I would not be hating on Matt Jones if we did not have a stacked top four guys this year. No, we just have we have to establish this, right? We have to establish that this Mac Jones thing is absolute lunacy, and the idea of him going number three is just the most idiotic thing that I've heard. Like, in well, I guess as long as we've been watching the draft, I can't think of anything that compares to the idea of Mac Jones getting drafted over Justin Fields. I guess other than like Mitchell Trubisky against Mahomes, but I didn't know what I was evaluating at that point. I was like, everyone says Trubisky's better than Mahomes and Watson, so I guess he's better than Mahomes. I, and I don't Watson. think people understand. In was it 2018, the Sam Darnold Baker Mayfield draft? Is that right? Okay, that is correct. In the 2018 yeah. class, all the top four quarterbacks in this class would have been a QB one, probably. Honestly. Uh, maybe not Trey Lance. Uh, Trey Lance might have been one of the guys on the outsides. But I think with his potential that he held, he might have been my QB1. Um, Wilson, Fields, Lawrence, definitely. Lance, I think, would have been really up there. And I think he would have been a leaked QB1 if he was in that class. That is how great I think the big four are. I think if Matt Jones was in that class, he would have been in consideration with Baker Mayfield and those other guys to be one of those top picks. Um, because I thought that class of quarterbacks was pretty poor. And, and, you know, I wasn't high on Lamar Jackson at all. I wasn't high on Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think everyone missed on Lamar Jackson, even though Lamar probably should have been a top 15 pick. It's just the way that the draft. My favorite quarterback out. in that class was Sam Darnold, and he was the guy I was highest on. Uh, I had him over Josh Rosen. I know Josh Rosen was a very popular QB1. I, I was, I, I believe I had Josh Allen as my QB4. Um, and I think, I think for me, it went um, 
Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, Allen, I believe, was my was my group. But I thought I thought Oof. me the only realistic <laughs> top ten pick was Sam Darnold. I didn't think anyone else was top. It was worth a top ten pick. Um, and and I think Lance Fields, uh, Lawrence, and and Wilson, if they're not top, picking the top ten, that is idiotic. That is stupid. They need to be top ten picks. They all four of them do. Um, I don't think Mac Jones needs to be, and I didn't think Baker Mayfield needed to be. So it wasn't the best, uh, of course, evaluation because those quarterbacks ended up being pretty well, and maybe Mac Jones can still be a very good quarterback. But um, I, whenever you compare that, uh, those top four guys to everyone else, I mean, it's just night and day. And I think those top four have really kind of separated. Um, I think people, the, the fact that people are trying to shorten the gap between the top four and Mac Jones, I think is the idiotic part to me. I think he is still a good quarterback. And he, whenever he's evaluated by himself, he's still going to be a guy I can see being a good court, starting quarterback if he's drafted the late first round, early second round. But the fact that he is trying but there you go. He could be the Jared fact Goff. That he is in the same <laughs> sentence as the other four guys is unreal to me. And that's the part that I hate the most about Matt, about Matt Jones. That's why I've been hate on, hating on him as much as I have because he is not these four guys. It's just not the case. Yeah, I think I'm willing to ride with you. If you if we're going to do some sort of punishment, if Mac Jones has a good rookie season or just like comes out, we immediately know he's awesome. I'm willing to absorb some sort of punishment for this because I'm right there with you that there's no, there's no way he can be drafted ahead of Justin Fields. Trey Lance, I just don't know enough about, but there's no way he could be drafted ahead of Justin Fields. I've got four more of these realistic draft comps here. So I've been through the quarterbacks here. I've just got a few of the bigger names that aren't quarterbacks at this point. So this one, this one's not really a slight. I've got Patrick Sertan as an Antonio Cromartie. That's not really a slight. It's just more of a realistic. And, comparison, and I don't I have, I don't, I do not personally have a player comp for Patrick Sertan. So I, I can't speak on that, but I believe the draft network has the exact same comp for him. I believe whenever I read their article. So you might have wow. been on the dot there. I think they actually copped him directly to uh, to Rogers Camardi. And honestly, I mean, let's be real. He had a great season. He was a longtime cornerback. Uh, I think, um, of course, he was never, like, great, I would say. He was always good, uh, for sure. Um, and, and I don't think Patrick – I don't know. Hold on. I don't, I don't want to disrespect him in any way. <laughs> let, me, let me step back here. Yeah. Like, he was like <laughs> – we can we go, we can if move Sertain, on too. If, if Sertain <laughs> ends up being like him, it's going to be a successful career for him. I think it's that's a good pick, right? That's what I was saying. It wasn't much of a slight. So not, I guess not a lot of these are slights. I guess the quarterbacks is just fun to do Paxton Lynch <laughs> and EJ Manuel, but not a lot of them are like slights. Uh, being being Jared Goff and Brett Hundley means that I guess you're going to have like what a, a ten year yeah. career, an eight I mean, year NFL could, career. He could be a, be a starter for a couple of years for sure. Yeah, you could be a Blaine Gabbert and just keep pulling up on these backup jobs for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure, it'll work out. So I've got uh, I've got Devonta Smith as Jeremy Macklin. Ooh, okay. My my comp for um, Devonta Smith for the longest time has been Marvin Harrison. Yeah, uh, because of the size, you know, very very small. Um, I, I think Macklin's another really tiny receiver that could have. Honestly, I think it's a really good comp because they can have similar careers. Um, overall. Uh, I, I think that, you know, of course, Macklin did have. How big was Macklin? Do you have his number? Macklin was Macklin was six foot. Right. I think he was like two hundred, but I assume that's what Devonta Smith's weight oh. will be. But the thing with Macklin <laughs> is just like good career, but never got a second contract. I would say that he Smith was. is lucky to get over one eighty. <laughs> he's um, yeah, he, he put on a lot of weight, but, to get bigger than that. But I believe Smith is what 
I think he measured in at five nine one. I didn't. I don't think he weighed up, but I think he said that he is. He's a little. He said he's over one seventy. He said in his press conference. So if we believe that, um, I think that you know, but Macklin didn't play as a you know he. I mean he for for six foot tall, two hundred pounds. People don't understand. That's a very small receiver. You know, it's still a slot guy for sure. Macklin wasn't the biggest receiver out there. Um, so I. Yeah, for for correct number, Macklin was six foot one ninety five. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so that, that's a lot more. That makes a lot more sense to me. I think they're you know, pretty similar size for the most part, and I think that once you, you know, factor in the fact that they also played as like a similar, I think in the in the route running scheme, just trying to avoid contact for the most part, it makes a lot of sense. All right, for Jamar Chase, I have a blend. But this one's a little more of a slight. I just realized. For Jamar Chase, I have a blend between Pierre Garcon and Devontae Um, Not a bad one at all. Uh, I have been one of those guys that have come directly to Stefan Diggs. I think Stefan Diggs is a very good comp for Jamar Chase because they, he, I mean, he's just a beast of a player um, for the most part. And I think that once you, you know, kind of compare the two, they are very similar in size. And I think that they have the physicality to be a, uh, you know, to be great for the next level. Um, I do think, however, Pierre Garcon's a, a pretty good one. Um, he was about six foot two, wasn't he? Six foot one, maybe. Um, Chase is six foot flat, I believe. Right. So um, I think that, you know, maybe a little bit. Sh- well, actually, how, t- how tall is Pierre Garcon? He might have been a little bit shorter, wasn't he? Let's see. Pierre Garcon was okay. uh, yeah, well, six foot. Shorter. Okay. So uh, same size as Jamar Chase. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, I think the main difference is. Um, Chase is a lot more physical than Pierre Garcon in my eyes. So uh, I guess what would. which is probably the Devontae Parker because Devontae Parker is like 6'3 and 220, 215, something like that. Yeah, and I think the only thing that only separates them is the fact that Jamar Chase is just twice the athlete as both of them. Um, You know, Garcon and Devontae Parker are good athletes, but Chase is an elite athlete. He is Julio Jones-level athlete. I mean, mean, people don't understand that. He's because he's smaller, but he's a great, great athlete that's standing only six foot tall. So um, he can be – those two guys put together with Julio Jones athleticism. When you combine that, it's a great receiver. And then the last one I have here is Travis Etienne, and I compare him to Mr. 18 carries for 72 yards, Kevin Cole. Very, very good one. <laughs> I, I like this a lot. Uh, I, again, I don't have a, a comparison to um, Etienne, but I think when you compare their similarities, uh, Coleman is a very, very accurate uh, um uh, comparison. I think I think the best thing about Etienne, though, people that don't understand, uh, he has great top end speed, but I think his contact balance, being able to bounce off tackles and still stand up, um, not getting knocked down with that, I think it's very underrated. And I think it's actually probably what's what he has. It's a lot better than Tevin Coleman, though he's a smaller running back and he is prone to getting you know overpowered. Um, he is able to stand up to hard hits, and I think that's a very very good aspect of his game. People don't talk about because everyone's so spoiled with Najee Harris being a big brute who just runs over people for the most part, or jumps over them, or just does whatever he can. He's a he's not Derrick Henry by any means, but I mean he has the athleticism and the strength to you know just go through people or jump over people. Etn doesn't have that. He's the blazing speed, but on top of that, he can he can bounce off tackles really really well. And um, I think it's I think I think that's one thing that puts him over a guy like Tevin Coleman, even though I think. You know, similar body type, very similar speed. I would say they are very similar players. All right. That's all the ones I got there. So that's all uh, my overly realistic draft comparisons that I've been sitting on for like five days trying to find a place to slide it into the podcast. So this is a good way to do it is when we talk two weeks out from the NFL draft at this point. 
which I thought was three weeks, but yep, just realized very, very it's two soon. Weeks. I am I'm super, super hyped. I, I think it's gonna be really fun. And I'm now I'm <laughs> I'm really glad to get my like full opinions out on the top five quarterbacks. I think this is the most in depth we've been in quite a while because um, I don't want to. I hate to stereotype quarterbacks, but I feel like I tend to do that a lot in this podcast. I tend to, you know, kind of, you know, have Fields and Lance as the development guys. I can tend to have Mac Jones just the, the bad player, and then Lawrence is the the unicorn, and and Wilson's just the day one guy that you want to have to, on your team. Um, I hate to do that. I hate to paint those out as those players. There's so much more to their game that can make them better or worse. Um, but you know, I, I think that these top four guys can all be pro bowl players at the next level i don't think mac jones is ever going to be that uh and, and i think that all four of these guys in the top four are going to be realistic super bowl contenders if they're on the good if they're on good teams it's gonna take a lot for mac jones to be like that and so i so a lot like the 2018 class that you said sucked but now has three quarterbacks that might be on like the four best teams yeah in the so I've, I've hit a lot and i've missed a lot so i'm not gonna lie to you um there's definitely I think I think if if there's any year where I'm most uh, where I feel most comfortable predicting this is probably this year because you know I've developed I've developed my grades each year to help help them get more and more accurate. I feel like my grades have been more and more accurate each season. Um, I had Justin Herbert over Tua last year as at quarterback, so I mean I feel good about that. You know I was happy. I remember that. I remember you. We did a mock draft and you had. Tua going to the Chargers and Herbert going to the Dolphins. I yeah. thought you were insane. Uh, I, I thought Herbert was a better quarterback, um, and and I stuck by that throughout the whole entire process. And I and I was happy with the the result of seeing that. But um, well, you were also. I mean, it's the most passionate I've seen you on a topic. Was about it was a huge mistake to put Tua yeah. in over Fitzmagic at the time that he did, and. You know, I don't. I don't know. I feel like the answer to whether you okay, were right yeah. or wrong is like yeah. Maybe well, I don't know. I don't know how many more games they would have <laughs> won with Fitzpatrick. They honestly, what they what they did wasn't bad. They let Tua get the experience he had, and they let Fitzpatrick come in and, and save them the game that they were about to lose. <laughs> you know, that's what they did, and in theory that worked out. Yeah, but that is a very risky thing to do. And you know, of course, you put in Tua against the entire Buffalo Bills second team, and you get destroyed. So like, whenever you need to make the playoffs, so obviously he still he still was a step behind. That really calls to them a playoff appearance. Well, I think that's why the six pick mattered so much to them in getting a blue chipper is just because you've got Will Fuller, who, you know, you might have Will Fuller. You have A. Gasecki, You have Devontae Parker. So it's interesting how this is going to play out. Have I told you the thing about what I do with Gasecki? Uh, you no? just say everyone needs a Gasecki. And, <laughs> you know, it- yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone needs a Gasecki, and so I don't call him Gasecki anymore. Yeah. I call him a Gasecki because everyone just needs he, a Gasecki. Ideal so starting tight end. They have a Gasecki. Like, I mean, you team. cannot get more ideal than Gasecki, even though he is not going to ever be a Pro Bowler. He's not ever yeah. going to be the highlight player you want. He's just, I mean, he is your, he is the. I'm trying to think of a, of a, a comparison. I got a good, I got a good comparison for you. He's the NBA equivalent of a Bogdanovich. Everyone needs a Bogdanovich, and everyone that's a needs very a good comp. Yeah, team. that's a very, very good comp. Honestly, I, I agree. He's just, he's like the third pitcher in the rotation. He's just a guy that you know everyone kind of needs, but like, yeah, everyone <laughs> needs a Joe Musgrove. Everyone needs a Joe Musgrove. Those on their team. other sports people <laughs> that didn't know that. So that's a, that's a great comparison. I like that a lot. I agree. Um, and- you know, I I heard the Bogdanovich joke like three years ago. I've been making it ever since, and they keep changing teams, and it's still true. It's just yeah, everyone could use a Bogdanovich on their team. I do the same thing with a Plumley. Everyone just gets a Plumley. Well, you get a Plumley, they get a Plumley. The Pistons just added a Plumley for thirty million dollars. 
Everyone could use <laughs> exactly. a plumber. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, I feel like Gasicki, I believe he's a free agent next year. Once he is free agency, he might have a really, really big market for such an average tight end. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like Austin Hooper, where I was confused when he was getting $12 million. And then I learned after that, it's like, oh, the entire Browns offense operates through two tight end sets. That's where they're at their best. I didn't realize that until after they gave Austin Hooper $12 right. million. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, – um, just like he's probably in for very, very similar money uh, at tight end. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, but they, I think if you can get Kyle Pitts on that on that squad uh, and, and have him play with Mike Gesicki, Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, it's a dangerous offense, man. I think that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping for him or Chase. And if they go, you know, if they go Waddle, I mean, that's still a good pick. You can play him in the slot, still can be a very, very good weapon, probably your better weapon, best weapon on the team still. Um, but I think you're better off, you know, trying to move down and maybe go for Devontae Smith instead. Um, and I think another issue that no one's really talked about is the fact that, you know, Waddle and, and Devontae Smith are so quick into saying Mac Jones was better than Tua, um, which, for one, I don't agree with. And two, uh, it, I feel like it's going to create maybe some chemistry issues possibly because now that Tua knows that, you know, they just <laughs> threw it under the bus so quickly. Um, you know, I, I feel like if I was a teammate of both of them, I would have said, I like them both. They're different quarterbacks. You know, they're great. You know, if I was being that guy. But the fact that they turned against Tua so quickly, I mean, that was just in, that was an interesting aspect. And, you know, I've I seen people taking Devonta Smith at three the entire time. I was like, mm, this is not a good pick. You know, if they're going th- top three, they're going to have to go chase. Uh, I've kind of changed that since then. I, I think now it's Pitts area. This is where you need to go Pitts. And I think if they can get Pitts pick six, absolute ideal pick an A-plus pick in my eyes. Well, because Pitts is just a weapon at this point. Like, his position should just say weapon. Like, that's kind of just what he is as he comes out of the draft. Is that, to be honest, I kind of want to see him line up outside in, like, the he can, DK No, he, he, can, he can be an X receiver, he can be a slot receiver, and he can be a tight end. I don't think we play like that. Calvin yeah. Johnson. I was about to say, this is everyone – we talked about this during the season. We pretty much dedicated, like, 30 minutes to this, is that – Everyone wants a DK Metcalf. Everyone wants a Chase Claypool. Everyone wants a Julio Jones. Everyone wants a Calvin Johnson. There's one right in front of you and everyone can see it. And I think that's why he went from like, hey, he could go to the Patriots at 15 to when people actually started evaluating Oh wait, this dude is going to be like gone in the first four yeah. picks of the draft. Uh, and honestly, it's a shame. I think I was listening to a radio show this morning, a sports radio show. Uh, I believe it was um, Greeny, uh, on his radio show, I believe it was a um, they had a guy covering for him instead though, so I don't know, I don't remember who it was. I believe every single call that was made was asking about Kyle Pitts. Uh, like pick eight, pick nine, pick ten, pick seven. Everyone wants Kyle Pitts. It is everyone's dream to get Kyle Pitts. And people are going to be very disappointed to realize if he makes it out of the top six, it is a miracle. Miracle. Yeah. Well, it would it would take the perfect set of circumstances, probably one of which is the Falcons. The, the only scenario it happens like, is the top four picks are quarterbacks. The Bengals go Sewell. The Dolphins think they want Chase over Pitts. That's the only scenario that's possible in my eyes. And then you'd have to – only way yeah. he falls out of the yes. top. And, six, and I think, you know, you, you, if you're the Panthers, you're hoping that, that the, the Dolphins, or excuse me, the, the, the Lions still would prefer a wide receiver over a, a, a freak athlete that can play wide receiver or tight end, you know? But, you know, they already have. 
Well, that would be the perfect scenario to what you're talking about. They can put Pitts at wide receiver and Hawkinson but, at tight ends. Like, that's just the exactly. perfect reason. Exactly. If you're the, if you're like the Panthers who have been mocked to Pitts, you know, from, from early in the beginning of the season, um, you know, that's a very popular pick because the Panthers are desperate for a tight end. Um, you know, they're, they're hoping that maybe the Lions just think that, hey, we need a deep threat, not a tight end. and Or maybe we just want one of those guys to buy off kneecaps and uh, you go for some other players. So, <laughs> for some other reason. Let's play that game. Can you name the Panthers' tight end? <laughs> Let's play uh, this game. <laughs> you know, I actually I feel like I knew who it was before. I think I know Logan too, Thomas. but I'm not certain if they're still there. Logan Thomas is on the Washington, right? right. Logan Thomas is that like converted quarterback who was like the leading receiver. I thought it was um, Ian that's Thomas. Thinking, maybe you're right. I was thinking of, but... I was thinking of Thomas, but it is Dan Arnold. Uh, Ian Thomas is a, is a backup, according to this. Yeah, they have Dan Arnold. Wait, they have Dan Arnold now. Yeah. They have Darnold. <laughs> that was that was one of the jokes that got one of like, got like fifteen thousand likes on the Instagram during the season. Is when they had because when they put him up on the screen, it's D Arnold, and so I made the joke. When did Sam Darnold join the the <laughs> Arizona Cardinals? Because it just says D Arnold on his name. I had no idea he was a Panther. I thought Darnold was still on the. Uh... So wait, we have Darnold throwing to Darnold. Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my You're life. Darnold is throwing to Darnold. Oh my god! Perfect. Yes, <laughs> but uh, I, you know that, that just so Ian Thomas is a backup. He, I don't, I don't really know Dan Arnold. I, I don't know how good he is. So I would say Logan Thomas is probably the or Ian Thomas, excuse me, is probably better, but Ian Thomas is still at best a tight end too. Here's how good Dan Arnold is. Dan Arnold was the starting tight end on the Cardinals, the only team with a shittier tight end situation yep. than so the Carolina Panthers. I hope that solves your, uh, your questions. Uh, oh my gosh, they have Darnold. That just made my day. That Darnold is going to throw to Darnold next season yeah, just made my day. That's going to be a good, be a good post. <laughs> I need to make well. I need to make that right now because I'm gonna forget about it. That Darnold is go. throwing to Darnold next season. That's gonna be <laughs> so awesome. <Yeah. laughs> oh, please don't draft Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, Bengals, alien, fall out of the spaceship and end up on the Bengals. Don't let him fall to the yeah. Panthers it, if I'm the Bengals at pick five, I don't know if this is a bias in me or or just you know a true opinion that should matter. Um, if Pitts, Chase, Sue are all there, any of those picks are A pluses on my book. And all of them. Any of them. They're all A pluses. Not one's going to be better than the other. They're all great picks. Any other pick for me is an F. Any yeah. other pick, no matter what it is, Jalen Waddle, Rashawn wow. Slater, F. If they're if it's not one of those three, it's an F. So, um, and and of course it's you know so certain that two of those three are going to be there. So, um, you know you're you're going to have two of those three guys there. You it's going to be really really hard to not get an A plus for me with those three guys because these are the three best players that are not um, quarterbacks in this draft by far. And all three of them, I think, could be blue chip players for your team for the future. They are fantastic. I know people have Penny Sewell as number one overall guy. People have Kyle Pitts as the number one overall guy. People have Jamar Chase as the number two overall guy in a lot of you know places. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with any any of these guys. I've got a fun stat for you. This is actually what I was going to go to first. So there are three teams in all of baseball right now that have over a twenty run differential through the first. 11 games of the season I think it was I think they're probably 12 now I saw this on Monday 
Would you like to know who those three teams are at this point? Can I guess? Yes, feel free to guess. Reds, Astros, and I don't know how many games the Phillies have played yet. It's not the Phillies. Okay. Not the Phillies. I, I, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> it, ooh, this might be a bad answer. The Red Sox? The Red Sox, so the Red Sox are a good guess. For people, I don't know if this is going to be in the podcast or not, but for people who are guessing the Reds, it's interesting because the Reds are on that list that they've gone from being the worst batting team last year in the playoffs. I think they were ranked like 28th or something in the whole league to just top five offense without adding anybody. Obviously, small sample size, and they'll regress to the mean. But it's just funny now that they're this good offensively. The other two are the Dodgers and the Padres, oh, who I guess would kind of be expected. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have guessed the Padres. I was thinking the Dodgers, but I feel like that was too obvious of an answer. And I knew the Astros have been raking it as well lately, so I, I thought that maybe they would be up there. But I knew the, I knew the Reds for sure were one of those teams, and then you know, the others, I guess, were uh, guesses for the most part. Well, the reason you get the Padres is because their schedule this year includes the Giants, the Diamondbacks, the Texas Rangers and the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's part of it is that it feels so good to have a good team because for the first time I'm realizing, oh, good teams beat the crap out of all these bad teams. That's the testament of being a good team is walking into a series with Pittsburgh and Texas for seven games and knowing we're going to win at least five of them. Like that has never happened for me as a Padres fan where I'm just like, yeah, I expect we're going to win five out of seven. The irony of that is that the Reds just lost two, three game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants. So, Well, yeah, the Diamondbacks had to regress to the mean. Like the Diamondbacks are like that uh, Mariners team two years ago that had the best record in baseball through April and then finished with a hundred losses. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the, the Reds right now. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, they had to regress to the mean at some point, but the, the I I think the Padres are legit. Except I'm getting ready because Friday is Dodgers week, so that is uh no, no, obviously no intense. No Tatis, you have time. You have time. No, Tatis might be back. Really? He might be. He might come off the injured list before Friday. That's kind of what they're shooting for right now, as the uh, as the Dodgers move around their starting rotation to make sure that Bueller, Kershaw, and Bauer pitch against the Padres. Yeah, how are you? How are you feeling about the uh, the no hitter, uh, Joe Musgrove pitch? Ah, uh, that was wonderful. Yeah. That was truly wonderful. It's a perfect combination of just. I I consider myself to be a pretty good baseball fan, and I used to be a Texas Ranger fan. I could not name more than like three dudes on that Rangers team. That was just sad. And everyone else. (laughs) It's like Joey Gallo. I recognize David (laughs) Dahl. And I remember, I remember they used to have, uh, they used to have, uh, um, was it? Um, I forgot his name already. Oh my goodness, Uh, Prince. I think right. What's his? Oh my God, Prince Fielder. Fielder. I don't know why I completely forgot about the, the most legendary name ever. Yes, Prince Fielder. But that's so funny because he retired like four or five years ago. Yeah, no, but I, m- I remember him being a Ranger at one point for quite a while. Wait, did you throw out Josh Hamilton and I was just talking over you? Because that's another funny name. Yeah, yeah, no, I threw out Josh Hamilton. I already, yeah, I said him because I mean he, he was a he was a Texas. I mean he was a Rangers legend for a long time, and I remember. Uh, I guess he had a he's, downfall after that, didn't he? He's going to be an amazing 30 for 30 one day because this dude was not just the face of the Rangers. He was one of the four best players in baseball at one point. Oh. And he just like was just this weird dude 
who like embodied like just country boy, but was one of the four best hitters, hit like 45 homers in a season one year, won MVP, went to two World Series as the best player on the Rangers. And then it just all fell apart. It's going to be such a weird 30 for 30 one day. And he had that amazing home run derby where he hit like 28 consecutive home runs. Well, I remember for quite a while, it kind of felt like to me it was uh, it was Hamilton, Albert Pujols, and then Joey Votto was really like the three best hitters in the league, uh, at least. Yeah. And Miguel, then throw Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera oh, in Miguel there. Miguel Cabrera yeah. was definitely one of those guys. Miguel Cabrera. And then like Buster Posey kind of took the mantle in there somewhere yeah. when he won MVP. Those were like those were like the big guys. I was always expecting like, oh, these guys are raking 30-plus home runs in an instant. <laughs> it's easy. And yeah. weird how the mighty have fallen. I guess Cabrera and, and Votto are still doing stuff. I don't know how – Pujols retired, didn't he? So Pujols is still around, but this is the interesting thing with Pujols is that so he was hitting he was averaging a 1000 OPS when he got to Anaheim. He declined by 200 points like or 100 points every year until he became a league average hitter. One year he had the lowest wins above replacement in all of baseball, and that was like four years ago, and he's still like the six hitter on the Angels now. Yeah. So um, yeah, they're all they're all kind of on their way out, I would say. But I mean, yeah. But they are all there to collect those contracts. Pujols is making thirty million dollars this year, and funny story: Miguel Cabrera almost bankrupted the Tigers. There's a whole complicated story on that. Is that when the owner died and they were transferring hands? they almost declared bankruptcy as a means to write off debt before selling the team because part of it was Miguel Cabrera's nine-year contract that he signed the year before he totally fell off a cliff. You know, I mean, as much as I love Votto, uh, yeah, I think without his contract, Reds might have been able to either keep Trevor Bauer or, or get someone like Francisco Lindor. Uh, it's just crazy how, like, things like that can affect your team for the future, even though, you know, you love this player and you want to owe him everything. You, I mean, you got to think, like, paying him – 35 plus mil could have gone into going and getting at one of these other guys that meant a lot for your team. Again, you know, the Cy Young Award winner for the first time in Reds history, you know, you lose him to the Dodgers, of course. You might have been able to resign him if he had that money. Um, but, you know, regardless, it's, uh, you know, I, I owe Votto a lot and I, I can't disrespect him too much because he's been raking these last few days. I believe this is the second straight day with a home run today. Uh, so um, he's been doing pretty well for the most part. So I uh, can't, you know, can't disrespect him too much, but it, man, I mean, those were legends at their time, but I think teams, we, we obviously learned now teams jump a little bit too close to the gun to try to, um, you know, pay their best player. Yeah. Especially as they head into their thirties, it's kind of tough. And it's the tough thing with Votto too. It's the same thing the giants are going through with Posey and the tigers with Cabrera. And I guess the Orioles with Chris Davis, but it's like these are guys other than Chris Davis who are going to have their jerseys retired by the team that they're playing for. So you have to decide like at what point is the grass greener to part ways or give them that extra extension so they can play on their team until they're like 41. But for the Tigers, it's just playing on a bunch of losers for five straight years with Miguel Cabrera or my favorite example from this week was on Monday when Salvador Perez went four for four for the Kansas City Royals and they lost 10 to three to the Angels. It's just the most perfect Salvador Perez line at this point. <laughs> yep. And they just gave him a four year, $80 million extension, like before this season started, as he was coming off of Tommy John surgery. Right. But he's been pretty well too, isn't he? I believe. Yeah. I think he's been playing really well lately. So I can't, you know, I mean, honestly, credit to the. I mean, credit to people who, you know, make their money and, and do well. But I've just, it's been a thing in 
in bat, foot, baseball for a long time, and it's starting to be a thing more in the NFL now too. When, when you're seeing certain guys like Julio Jones, who's you know I don't want to disrespect Julio Jones, but you can tell he's obviously declining. It happened for AJ Green as well, and they're getting kind of these contract issues where you might have to try to move on from the player in the future. AJ Green, it was just like a mutual parting of ways. Like AJ Green came back to Cincinnati for one year to get because he couldn't get a contract anywhere else coming off of that with one of the weirdest injuries ever where he like rolled over his ankle and tore a ligament because they were playing on a bad practice field. Like one of the strangest injuries I've seen. And I also had AJ green on my fantasy team that year. Well, so I, just really, I weird. think they said it was a turf toe, which is, you know, for people who know what a turf toe is like, it's a lot worse than you think if it's bad, but sometimes it's not always bad, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, for a long time, we were confused as to why AJ Green was out for the entire year with a turf toe injury. And then they said that it might have been something more uh, done to the ligaments or with the muscles and possibly like a fracture in the foot, um, which is why he ended up um, getting, you know, getting out for most of the season. But the, the interesting part is what you mentioned, um, the, the practice field the Bengals play on was so raggedy and messed up and just terrible. I mean, all the players hated it. And it ultimately... Um, was the cause of AJ's injury, which is, you know, awful to think that, like, the team wouldn't put in more money into a, another field to upgrade and make it better. Um, as far as I know, I think they fixed the field after that AJ Green injury, but they still don't have an indoor facility yet, which is ironic because there are high schools in Cincinnati football who have indoor facilities. Mm-hmm. And it is sad to imagine that the Bengals have not done that yet. Um, there are rumors that they... I've seen that. I've seen that Ohio State practice facility. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that is ridiculous it's... how gigantic that facility is. And yeah, it, it's weird that NFL teams don't have... Yeah, those. I mean, you just I just can't imagine that the Bengals wouldn't just want that. I don't know if their players dislike it or what, but I, I mean, I would imagine most players definitely... No, it's just not, it's just not spending money. It's like being... Being a Bengals fan and a Chargers fan is kind of like being a second-class citizen. I've heard <laughs> Joe Barksdale talk about this. It's literally being a second-class citizen because you have poor practice facilities, you play in front of no fans, and it's often, for the Chargers at least, filled with other teams' fans, and the team doesn't spend the money necessary to compete at an NFL level. It's like being a second-class citizen. <laughs> sad honestly it really is and you know I, I hope I've, I've heard you know the Bengals added a ring of honor this year uh to you know finally give credit to their hall of famers who most of them have already you know passed away like Ken Riley's gone but you still have guys like um Keen Anderson Anthony Munoz of course and maybe some of these uh younger guys like Chad Johnson who are going to be inducted eventually into that ring of honor they finally get the respect they deserve and then I I've, there are rumors I I am not confirming anything and I, I don't know for sure I haven't talk to any sources about this but there are rumors that possibly i think someone took an aerial view of cincinnati's paul brown stadium and they think that there might be an indoor facility being in construction right now but can't confirm that yet i don't know for sure at all that was just a one person just randomly messaged me and said hey what is this and i'm like i don't know um so maybe i don't know that that that's going to be a thing but we'll have to see we're not very sure but they need to get one they need to do something to help continue to strive to have more players want to you know go down there because unfortunately it's the same for the chargers and really is the ultimate reason why they moved there was no attraction to san diego uh not really san diego in general but just the facility the yeah, chargers. The chargers. yeah to the so chargers they almost were forced to move and completely just rewrite everything they had except really just their name and logo um 
well, they also changed their logo, uh, just, just change everything. And, and, you know, look at them now. They look like a, finally a team that can be, um, you know, a possible contender for the future. They were stuck at 10 and 6 for a long time, but now they finally have got Justin Herbert, who's next level. They're, they are adding good pieces. They are making excitement within fan base. I think now they're finally starting to take steps forward. The Bengals are nearing the point where they have to do that. They might have to relocate and completely reset, and that's going to be a long time before that ever happens. But um, we know the Mike Brown family is very, very – um, and we talk about this multiple times in this podcast, but we know the Mike Brown family is very, uh, really stuck to their roots because Paul Brown was the one who created this here. They want to keep it here since that is, you know, they're, you know, this Mike Brown's father. It's their grandfather for most part. You know, everyone's related to Mike, <laughs> Mike Brown or Paul Brown uh, there, and they want to keep it there. But in order to do that, you have to make Cincinnati and really just the Bengals in general much more attractive uh, for certain people. Yeah, there's a great podcast. We've talked to them before. Rafi and Ben did a story on the Chargers. It's basically like Los Angeles has kind of forced the Chargers to adapt a little bit. Like being in Los Angeles has forced them to change their ways. They get rent for free at the stadium, but it's forced them to spend a little bit. It's forced them to change the the way the organization is run from the top down, even though it's still nepotist Dean Spanos at the top. But it's it's forced the Chargers to adapt a bit, I think. Pressure and change would force the Bengals to, to adapt to. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.